And again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He's out of his mind. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end is come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. This is God's word. I believe week one is a little over-optimistic in what he shared this morning. He said that the, um, the group would leave here, that one of the, the, uh, the groups that would meet on Sunday morning would be reviewing the sermon. And that is true to a certain degree. But to think that we actually always go back and do that very well is a complete different conversation. We um, tend to get together and um, we get kind of sidetracked on one particular issue and it does tend to take over very often. But it's usually because of something that did come out of our time together here. This morning, uh, I want us to recognize that this scripture that we've just read leads itself to several different discussions. Uh, It could go in multiple directions, but I wanted to choose specifically the area of family. Um, And when I was looking at this and thinking about it, a couple of things happened this week that kind of challenged me. But I wanted to share kind of a personal testimony very quickly. Recently, I thought about this, and I just wanted to share with you that the very first girl that I ever kissed was a girl named Cynthia Hartsfield. And I remember it was in the spring, and it was so meaningful, and it had such an impact on my life. And and I, if it was based on that kiss alone, I'm sure that today we'd be married. But, you know, then again, we were both... Eight years old, you know. So probably that commitment was not that great, and I will confess that I did not initiate the kiss because, after all, I was more mature than that, and I knew that all girls have cooties, and and if a girl even touches you, you'll get this illness, you know. And so the idea of kissing her was way beyond me. But um, you know, we, we, we go through different experiences, and I know I knew all about family because I had seen my mother and father kiss. So I assume that family now, we're, we're ready to have a family because she had kissed me. What do I do now? I have cooties and everything. This week, I looked at some news that was talking about uh, a 12-year-old girl out of Florida that had uh, pinched one of her classmates on the bum. 
And uh, having pinched him, um, she was now facing a, is now facing a criminal record because she was picked up by a police cruiser and they took her in and booked her for a crime. The boy that was involved basically determined this was a silly idea and he, he tried to lead away from any of this happening. But his mother jumped into the picture and said, this is an opportunity to prosecute. I would have to say we live in a very strange world. And I'm so thankful that when Cynthia kissed me at the age of eight that we didn't have the laws that apparently we have today. Because I'm sure I would now have my lips cut off entirely and be trying to find out uh, how to explain that she started it. I didn't. You know, it's just amazing the things that our world get us into. But I thought... You know, hey, I understand family, even from those days, because after all, she had kissed me, so we're certainly now going to be starting a family, whether I want to or not. You know, when we look at Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 35, we look at some things that deal with the idea of family, and it's defined a little differently than that. Verse 20 says, Jesus entered the house, and again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. This scripture has a couple of different interpretations. There are those who would say that the term, he is out of his mind, was an attitude of the crowd. But it has been more usually defined to say that even his own family were looking at Jesus with a lack of understanding of his full identity. They knew he had done miracles. They knew that he had shown care. They knew that he was gone all the time reaching out. But they still didn't fully grasp the identity of Jesus as God's special chosen one. His own family saw him and also had to question, is, is this one a little bit off, a little different, a little strange? Now, I want you to think about this because we are not Catholic, so we don't spend a lot of time talking about Mary. But there are Protestant groups that spend a lot of time talking about But Mary, it says that Mary, the mother was there, and probably James and, and Joseph and Simon and and Judah, all, all, all were there. The, the brothers showed up. And they're all trying to find a way to get Jesus out of the middle of this crowd. And I don't know if you've thought about this, but it says it was in a house. Now, I've been in a lot of house churches in China. And I remember going to one particular one in Xiamen. And um, this house was, it was, it was, a, it was like a, a bunch of matchboxes that had been put together because... The house, the old house was in the middle. They had a downstairs and an upstairs. But then they had added on little alleyways into the houses around there and hooked them all together. And this thing just spread out. And there were hundreds of people there on Sunday for worship. But they were in different rooms. And most of them could not see the speaker the day that he was speaking. But they, they were in, it was spread out everywhere. And I've been trying to picture what it was like for Jesus in this situation where he's in a house 
And he's got crowds of people all around. Some are saying, this guy's really strange. I want to hear some of his weird comments. And others who are saying, this guy has done miracles. I want to see some of these miracles. So they were there for different motivations. But his own family, looking at the picture, is asking themselves, what can we do? Our face has been lost, if you will. This guy is embarrassing us. He keeps getting out in a situation. We don't, even, we don't know how to predict what he's going to do next. On the other hand, he's doing some great things. But we do know that he, he definitely doesn't function by just following that which is traditional, that which is normal and what is accepted as the norm of the religious concept of our day. Jesus didn't represent what normally we would think of as a number one son. I thought about what it must have been like for his mother to look at him. And, you know, having lived in Asia, we're always talking about our children and what child it is. And people talk about moms and dads getting older. Well, it's okay. My number one son will take care of me. There's a lot of pressure that comes in that. And I'm sure there was some of that as they looked at this one, this Jesus, and he, he didn't seem to be the most uh, normal and filial in the sense of sticking around the house a whole lot. He was out doing his own thing, and he was making friends with all kinds of strange people, including tax collectors, and the Scripture talks about making friends with sinners. So mom must have been a little insecure on some of that. So when we think about Mary, we have to have a little sympathy for her, her understanding of the picture. Then we go into verse 22, and we look at the scribes that also came to the house. Now this house, again, think about what it's like in some of those rooms. I was talking about the matchbox rooms that are all connected together in the house churches of China. And, and I can just try to picture what it's like to be in a room that's supposed to have a maximum of 10 people or 15 people, and suddenly you've got 45 standing around, jammed around, crowding and pushing and shoving. And then this group of men that should know better, the scribes, the religious leadership who had come in from Jerusalem, which is a distance away, but represented coming from a higher class scribe. They were not just your local religious leaders. They brought in the big boys. The big guns had come into town and they had come into the picture, and they, they came to talk to Jesus, and they started, again, to immediately criticize and slander him. And they said, you know, actually, everybody, I know you're all listening, because he's over there, but all of you can pay attention, because you know who we are. You can tell by the clothing we're wearing. This guy actually is doing his work in the name of Satan, Beelzebub. And... Um, you know, Jesus, even in a room, he was aware of things. And finally, in verse 23, it says that Jesus called them over to the side and he said, let's talk. Now, these scribes, again, being high-class scribes, they, they well understood what they were doing. Their intent was to sidetrack Jesus' authority, to get everyone a little confused. And so they were giving this presentation that, uh, say that everything that uh, had been done so far by Jesus actually was being done by evil with, with evil intent because after all, He's not doing it the way that our religion says He should. You know, as Christians, 
there's the universal church, which is the gathering of all Christians. And then there's the local church, which is a local church body where we serve, where we gather together, where we take on our own tasks, our own challenges, our own struggles, and we try to move forward with the idea of growing this body so it will be an even more impactful church for the name of Christ. We try to focus our ministry so that it has value. That means we have to work sometimes. It means sometimes it's not always convenient. But these scribes have come to town and they've determined this Jesus is not following any rule that represents anything from our religious background, our ethnic background. He was their directed target, their enemy. So in verse 23, Jesus calls them together and He says, Okay, I know you're back there, but come on over here a little bit closer. Let's talk. Maybe they pulled aside into one of the smaller rooms. But they pulled aside and Jesus explains to them, You know, guys, I understand what you're doing. I know what you're doing. You're trying to distract and minimize the power of God. You're insulting the Holy Spirit. You're doing everything based on religion and your name, your fame. What will make you more well-known? And it's wrong. And he said, how can Satan drive out Satan? Verse 23 and 24. If the kingdom is divided against itself, how can it stand? If a house is divided against itself, how can it stand? If Satan is divided against himself, how can he stand? Satan will not cast out Satan. Makes no sense. So he tries to explain, he said, you know, if Satan is the strong man, the only way you deal with Satan is you bind him. And I can do that. I have done that. I don't sit and compromise with Satan. I do distinguish what is right and what is wrong. What's kind of mind-boggling to me is to think that these religious leaders who knew the Old Testament really, really well could listen to Jesus, know Jesus, follow Jesus, see what Jesus does, see the consistency of His actions with what the Messiah was supposed to come and do and still refuse to accept Him. You see, I don't think they were actually looking. The Scripture talks often in the Old Testament about people looking forward to the Messiah. When I look at these men, I don't think they were looking for the Messiah because they feared having the Messiah come because it took away their power took away their position, took away their authority. They liked living in this world and being in the power and position that they were in. They didn't lack the facts of Jesus. They had the facts of Jesus. They knew what He had been doing. But they still refused Jesus, refused to accept Him. The point in this parable is that strength, depends on unity. Dividing a house, dividing a kingdom, dividing Satan, all means weakness comes. The Scripture says that it's in unity and it's in, it's, that God took the actions as necessary. You know, it's, it's true that for, you know, this is also true that we would have to say that for a large organization or a kingdom or a mission organization body, or a church body, or a household, any of these things, a unified heart, a unified spirit, a unified director, direction will give 
the potential of great successes. But when we're arguing and debating and constantly struggling, it just doesn't happen. And Christ is saying, don't do it. Don't get caught up in those things. It's a warning. It's a warning. It's also a way of saying, if you try that kind of thing, it will not be successful. Jesus reveals that He is God's agent and not Satan. Jesus explains in verse 27, No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless his, he is first bound. Then indeed he may plunder the house. Jesus' point is that he would not have been able to cast out the demons unless he had already bound up Satan. Jesus defines clearly that what these men were saying was not true. Now, they represented the religious norm, the religious power. And yet he said, sorry, I don't care what religious power you say you represent. It's not accurate. Let's go back and get a standard. You know, for us today, it's one of the reasons that, especially in our denomination, we recognize the Word of God is our standard for right and wrong. It's, it's how we decide whether things are true or false. It's not always convenient. It doesn't always say what we want it to say. But what the Bible says is the Word of God. And that does provide us a standard. Verse 28 says, Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven of all their sins, even their slander that they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he was an impure, uh, has an impure spirit. We talk about the unpardonable sin sometimes, trying to understand well, what is it. We talk about the, the, the sin against the Holy Spirit. Here it's simply saying it's, it's a reminder. These people were intentionally offending Jesus. He was their target. Jesus was providing a warning for the attitudes and direction that these scribes were taking. They were blaspheming the Holy Spirit by failing to recognize the power of Jesus' ministry. Just as we see in Mark 1, 12 and 13, there it says, the Holy Spirit never fears Satan. You know, we, we can remember this scripture. The Holy Spirit never fears Satan, but even guided Jesus to spend 40 days in temptation. You know, by Satan in the wilderness. There's no fear of the Holy Spirit. Satan is not the enemy. It's not the opposite. Satan can try as hard as he wants. God's not afraid of Satan. Blasphemy was about the condition of the heart, not about words. You know, I can remember, I used to think, what is this unpardonable sin? Is unpardonable sin saying some curse words in a wrong way? Is it somehow saying something about God and, oops, it slipped out of my mouth, I'm, I'm, I'm lost forever. Is that it? What is the unpardonable sin? Blasphemy has to do with our heart and the rejection of Jesus as our Messiah. We know the truth and we reject it. To say that Jesus is an, has an impure spirit was to both deny Christ and they give a, it also provided a negative connotation of who Christ was. For this action, forgiveness is not available. There is a point there where we can reject 
and reject and blame and do exactly what these scribes were doing, they were getting themselves deeper and deeper into direct blasphemy. And yet these are the religious leaders. They knew the religious rules. Again, I think this is a reminder to us, knowing the rules, knowing the policies, doing the actions, is no guarantee of security and safety. It may make us safe or secure in our society, but does it make us safe and secure with God? And you have to choose which is more important. When we put God under society's values, we've already made a major mistake. Don't compromise with our Lord. We're not trying to fight against our society. But we do have to recognize that for Him to be our Lord means His values, what we see in Scripture, are our standard. Today, there is a, a sermon in the words of Jesus. Having the facts about Jesus is not the same as allowing Him to be our Lord. Appearing religious, like the scribes did, is not our goal. We're challenged to be humble, to confess our sins, to be baptized in obedience, and to serve Him with our lives. We can see that there's nothing new in people playing church or religion, because we've seen that many times. Outward appearances is not the number one goal. It's what's going on in our heart. And we allow what's going on in our heart to impact how we present ourselves. It doesn't matter whether we want to argue over what kind of clothing we wear or what, whether we have drums on the stage or whether we have a piano that, that plays too loudly or whether somebody's got colored socks on. It's amazing the silly things that Satan will like to get us sidetracked on. Verse 31, Jesus' mothers and brothers arrive. Here's where you've got the brothers together, the mom together. They're all there. They're standing outside and they're asking someone, please, somebody, you know, the crowds are so great. I can't even get in the building. But I know Jesus is in there and I know what He's doing. But could somebody get Him to come out so we could talk to Him? In verse 32, it says, A crowd was sitting around Him and they told Him, Your mom and dad, or your mom and your brothers are outside looking for you. So naturally, what Jesus did was he jumped up and he said, Hey, great, I haven't seen Mom in a while. No, that's not what he did. That is not what he did. Jesus at that point did exactly the opposite of what most of us in our religious policies, in our religious rules, our religious thinking. He did the exact opposite. Jesus was always pulling something different than anybody would expect. Jesus knew what he was doing, though. He knew that by doing something a little different, challenging things in a different way, people would be listening. People would be paying attention. They may not like it, but they at least need to use their brain. God gave them that brain. Think it through. In this scripture, it reminds us of other comments of Jesus. Luke 2, 45-49, presents Jesus as an adolescent at the temple. We don't all remember that we don't have many pictures of Jesus before he was 30 years of age. Well, the stories are very few. But at the age of 12, he and his, his parents had been to Jerusalem. 
They had gone to pay the taxes. You know, taxes back then, same taxes today. You can run, but they're always going to be back there. And they had gone to town, gone to Jerusalem. They had paid their, gone to pay their taxes. Then they were packing up and they had left. And on their way back is a big group of people, all the friends and all the animals and everything going back to Nazareth. And suddenly they realized that Jesus wasn't in the group. They thought He was there, but He wasn't. So they went back to the city and they went to the temple. And that's where they found Him. After they looked for Him, they found Him in the temple. And of course, Jesus' response. So, good to see you. Where else did you think I would be? Why did you go to other places looking? Of course, this is where I'll be. This is where God wants me. Of course, I'm in my Father's house. Pretty strong comment from a 12-year-old. You know, a lot of moms and dads I know would say, okay, that's wonderful, but now we're going to go out first and I'm going to give you a spanking. Now, today we wouldn't do spanking. I guess you give them a time out or something. But, uh, you know, the idea of most parents, a 12-year-old that, didn't, uh, that suddenly was not with your group when you were traveling and you were in that kind of a situation, you're not going to sit back and say, oh, good, I'm glad you're back at the church building. That's wonderful. All you know is he's not where he's supposed to be. But Jesus said, this is where I'm supposed to be. Again, challenging the thinking and the values and the even at that young age. So Jesus was, it was nothing new to him to bring forth these ideas. With a history of Jesus' unique character and understanding of himself, his family had tried to remain in touch with him. After all, he was family. Jesus consistently qualified life through his own values and understanding. His definition of family was very much understood. He knew what a mom and a father and, a, and, and, and brothers and sisters were. But he uses at this time when he's with these people as a teaching moment. And in verse 33 he says, Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and he said, Here are my mothers and brothers. Whosoever does God's will is my brother, my sister, and my mother. He used it as a teaching moment. What a great man. He knew that it was going to bring a reaction. He knew that people would find it as a strange idea or a new thought. But he still went ahead and used it to teach. Yet, would not this action of rebellion toward societal expectation be something that even would be viewed as a bit over the top? Would he not be viewed a little bit by his mother and his brothers a little bit strange you know they're outside waiting on him and all he's saying is okay you guys can wait i'm staying in here and i'm calling all these people my family instead a little bit peculiar a lot of mothers and and brothers wouldn't find that great i remember back in 1975 uh, i moved to hong kong but a few years later for me, a few years later, 1998, so let's see, that would be, yeah, time goes by. I was in a new role and was trying to find some, some, uh, some trainers, uh, especially who had the correct camouflage to pull off the job, meaning yellow skin and black hair. Um, and, and within the North American context, I had been to several different Chinese churches, and, and I had come in contact with one couple from the Los Angeles area. The husband uh, uh, had a master's in education 
and the wife had her master's degree in library science. But they had so much rich experience in their Christian walk that we were talking about them coming to China to be trainers, and I was going to be sending them to different cities to work with different uh, church groups. And so we've been talking about how this was all going to happen, and it was just, it was so exciting. They were in their 50s, uh, latter 50s at that point, had a lot of skills, had language skills in Cantonese and in Mandarin. Everything looked really, really great. They began their application process with the mission organization that I was working with. Well, I had had challenges with our mission organization a couple of times in the past. I still love and appreciate the organization, but uh, it, like any other group, has its limitations. And so they made the application, sent it all in. Then they received these very strange questions about the application process. And the questions were dealing with, back in the early 60s, some certain issues in their family. And they looked at it, they said, the 60s? Whoa, that was the day before yesterday. This is a while back. Why are we doing this? The organization had concluded that they still had some internal issues they needed to work on. Now, why were they dealing with the internal issues? The individuals that were reviewing at our offices in another place who did not live overseas, and I don't know if they ever lived overseas, had determined that because during the early 1960s, that's the end of the Great Leap Forward in China, which most of you guys have no clue what I'm talking about. That's okay. There was a Chinese movement inside mainland China. And Mo Zedong and his, a lot of the people connected, uh, Chairman Mao and, and the ones before him uh, continued to support that for years. But it was a, a, a big movement for how the Chinese government could, could become more powerful and more strong within China. This, they had had these big uh, uh, actions had been taken inside of China. And my friends had left their daughter, who was two years old, with Granny in Hong Kong and then gone into China for two years. My mission organization learned about this and determined that they had left their daughter with a stranger for two years. And I can remember talking to them, and their response was, Granny is a stranger? How is that a stranger? You know, there's a difference in how you view family. For them, family includes grandma and grandpa are part of the deep, deep part of the family. This was not, by, and from their perspective, in any way a disrespect of their child or irresponsible action. They left their child with the person that, tr- that they knew they could trust the most with the grandmother. While they went back with this fervent commitment to trying to help the motherland become stronger. Now, at the end of two years in China, both of them re- returned to Hong Kong very disillusioned. They went back to their child, went back to the family, and the child was everything was fine. But this organization, this mission organization, all they saw was there was this slot in history that surely they had never dealt with that particular psychological problem and that responsibility. You know, when we talk about family, people have different definitions of what family is all about and how it works. In the scripture. Jesus is taking advantage of this opportunity to say to them, when I talk about family, I'm saying anybody that puts the will of God first is part of my family. 
Jesus knew that the family was the primary social unit. He knew he would bring a reaction, but he dared to take a risk. So today the question for us is to ask ourselves, who is your family? How do you really respond to Jesus when he says, family is anyone that follows the will of God? How would you feel about that? Is His will, God's will, most important in your life? Is it so important that you're willing to even challenge your own goals and dreams for yourself if you know down deep in your heart God wants you to do something else? What do we compromise on when it comes to the will of God? Do we compromise? When we look at family, there are many other definitions that can be found. Today we're looking at a society where We've got mixes of people that cannot function possibly in a, in a normal, what I would call a normal family environment. And yet Jesus' emphasis here was not really in this particular Scripture to talk about moms, dads, and children, what their responsibilities are. This is the one where He's saying all believers, all people who say they're disciples of Jesus Christ need to be viewed as family. Jesus warned against blasphemy in the heart. This has nothing to do with religion, but it has everything to do with your heart. Jesus spoke of family relationships, full commitment of our heart. Not slander, not rejection, not part-time commitment, full commitment to the Lord is a way of avoiding anything that would ever resemble an unpardonable sin. Our challenge is allow our hearts to be cleansed by the Lord. I truly believe that's what he was looking at when he looked at the scribes, when he looked at his family, when he looked at the disciples, when he looked at the people in the room who were listening to him speak. His number one goal was to challenge them all and remind them, we are family if we're doing the will of God with all our hearts. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this day asking ourselves hard questions. We often seek an easy answer in life, a simple, comfortable answer. Father, we would ask that we would, with joy, take challenges. And let those challenges be things that would allow us to serve you in order that we might watch you work in our lives. Father, we ask that we would know what it is to appreciate the family you've given us here. That we would be a closer family and we would welcome others to join this family and us serve together. We are not a perfect family. Just as Jesus pointed out to those people, He knew He was dealing with imperfect people and yet He challenged them, asking them to make change in their life. Father, I would ask that we would change ourselves by depending on You and allow You to truly allow Your Spirit to, to function in our lives in every way possible. In Jesus' name. I invite you to stand as we sing the song response.